Hello and welcome to the Event Hubs podcast. Before we get into it this week, we'd like to share that we're giving away $300 via either an Amazon or Steam gift card to our listeners. To enter, subscribe to this podcast on any podcasting service, follow Catalyst and I on Twitter, tweet at one of us with a screenshot showing that you've subbed as well as a quick note about what you enjoy most about our show, and then finally add the hashtag Event Hubs podcast. Please note that this is open to both new and already existing subscribers. The contest will run from June 12th to July 3rd, after which we'll announce a winner. This giveaway is restricted to participants in the United States only. With Microsoft's Project Scarlet officially revealed for 2020, a new piece of the When Street Fighter VI puzzle might be in place. Plus, Catalyst is tired of dealing with lag when playing Street Fighter Online, and has a proposal that would see players begin to forfeit rounds if their connection is too slow. Also, Banjo-Kazooie and Dragon Quest's The Hero have been officially revealed as the next two DLC home runs for Smash Ultimate, and we have this crazy idea that maybe Halo's Master Chief could be one of the next. We bring in both Dream King and Majin Tenshin Hand to help with this week's fully loaded episode of the Event Hubs podcast. Perfect. All right, and welcome back to another episode of the Event Hubs podcast. I am John Catalyst Gray, and with me as always is John Velociraptor Guerrero. Hey, everyone. My, there's There was almost nothing for this podcast in my mind, and I was like, I don't know what we're going to talk about this week. And then now there's everything to talk about. So I'm excited to jump into it, but there it's it's a beefy one. Yeah, definitely. Um, there's so much going on, uh, and it, it's kind of all like... You know, obviously we have the Smash announcements, which we're going to get into here in a little bit. But there's some other stuff kind of lurking beneath the surface here that that people might not be aware of. And, and what we want to get into right now is the implications of Microsoft announcing that Xbox Scarlet with two T's, because whatever, I don't know why they have Scarlet with two T's, but uh, it's coming in 2020 holiday season. And Ono is on Twitter excited about stuff. Obviously, uh, Capcom and Microsoft have kind of rekindled some of their romance here from years past. Um, you're kind of all over the story here. You've been covering quite a bit like what are you seeing so far so there's a lot of reading of the tea leaves here none of this uh, that we're gonna kind of get into is at all for sure but we're kind of working with what we've got and it's e3 weeks right so it's a time for unveiling what's on the horizon kind of looking to the future preparing aligning ourselves for what comes next and so it's it's no secret there's not a ton of fighting game presence at E3 this year either. We got, like you mentioned, the big um, Smash announcements, and that's great. But Capcom, for instance, is is at um, E3, and they're doing a lot of like Monster Hunter stuff and whatnot. But as far as fighting games go, they're doing some Street Fighter League exhibition matches, and Ono's signing some t-shirts. And mm-hmm. like that's about it. But Ono is there, and he was attending the... Uh, the presentation for Scarlet and of all the stuff that I'm sure he's sat in on and whatnot that was what he tweeted out about he shared that he was very excited um, to see what was going to happen and then once Scarlet was announced he's like really looking forward to the 2020 holiday season and both of those tweets that he put out he had a little winky face which with Ono who knows if it's a thing it's probably not it probably is we don't know it's (laughs) but it's what we have right now so you're thinking about it you go, well, the executive producer for Street Fighter V is, um, is at E3, and he has a reason to be there, but maybe he has more of a reason to be there. You know, maybe he's like, you know, kind of pointing stuff out and kind of aligning, maybe talking to people and whatnot. And now that we have an actual release window for one of these next generation consoles, you can start to think about, well, what does that mean for a potential next generation 
entry in one of Capcom's big fighting game franchises. And those would be probably either Street Fighter or Marvel. And looking at how things have been going as of late, one, it's kind of um, Street Fighter's turn, if you will. Uh, Marvel isn't doing too amazing right now. Well, Marvel's doing amazing. Uh, you know, Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite, it's not on a very high note at the moment. So we'll see how long, if, if ever, that comes back. But... We're looking at probably what's the likelihood of Street Fighter VI, and with this information that we have now in this E3 atmosphere, what can we look and kind of kind of imagine might be on the horizon for us? And so to do that, kind of looking back over when consoles and when new Street Fighter games and, and well, Capcom fighting games in general come out... Um, I don't. I didn't see a ton of correlation to like if a new console drops, then a new fighting game comes out like you know three or four months after every time. It's more along the lines of uh, a new fighting game comes out when it's when it's ready, and a new console comes out uh, when it's ready. But the consoles almost always drop in November, um, and that's that's pretty. Uh, I think it's evident because you know the holiday season, and then that that's probably what we're looking at for the uh, Project Scarlet. But um, as far as uh, Nintendo, or I'm sorry, as far as Capcom releases, uh, February is the most common month. You'll see uh, like Street Fighter Two came out in February. Super Turbo launched in February of '94. Street Fighter Three launched in February of '97. Uh, MVC Two February of 2000. Uh, let's see what else. Street Fighter Four February of '09. Although it did release in Japanese arcades a little earlier in July of '08. Um, MVC 3, February of 2011, and Street Fighter 5, of course, February of 2016. Now, there are plenty of titles that, you know, didn't release during that time, but I think that when you take into account the way the Capcom Pro Tour works, and you take into account the way that uh, Capcom has said a couple of times now that they're going hard into esports and that Street Fighter is the flagship franchise title that they're going to be moving forward with primarily when it comes to esports, you go, okay, that's a lot of information there. That means that they're going to have to organize probably around the Capcom Pro Tour and that it's going to be Street Fighter. And you say, well, Street Fighter Five. okay, we have support promised up to the end of 2019. I say we probably see support, you know, a new character to whatever, you know, Suzaku Castle at night stages, all that kind of stuff coming out. 2019 ends, and they more or less end support development for the game. But then you have 2020 for one more Capcom Pro Tour. Um, and then 20, uh, so Scarlet drops at the end of 2020. And then by February of 2021 would be a great time for Street Fighter VI to come out because the Capcom Pro Tour usually kicks off somewhere in mid-March. Now, a month with a game is not a ton, but we've done it before. And it's just kind of how these things tend to work. Uh, but they, like I said, they did this with Street Fighter V. And, um, and, and and it's a very realistic thing that they would probably drop a game in February, kick off a pro tour in March, and just kind of got to get used to it and deal with it and involve with, uh, evolve with the game as you learn it. But that's what the timeline is sort of looking like right now, given our Scarlet I want to jump release. in. Yeah, I'll jump in a little bit on the timelines because we do have it documented out here in the story that you're working on. And, you know, the Super Nintendo, it came out in November 1990. Um, we've got the Super Nintendo port of Street Fighter 2 in 1992. So about, you know, I mean, that's 
that's the end of the year and i know that one came out in summertime because i lived it it was awesome um you know um so that's about a year and a half you know off or so uh and then we have dreamcast and then third strike came out on that actually so that was in november then it came out in may it's about six months later actually that one came out so um and then we have the playstation 3 uh and then the xbox like 360 uh, PlayStation 3 came out in you know 26 or 2006 I should say mm-hmm. and then Street Fighter 4 came out in 2009 so like it's you're right there's not like a consistent pattern there right and mm-hmm. then more closer to home would be um, the PlayStation 4 coming out in 2013 same with the Xbox One and then Street Fighter 5 of course coming out in 2016 so like three years off mm-hmm. um it kind of runs the whole gamut right there, right? There's not there's not a real consistent pattern in, in any of that. But you do have to look at the market climate. You do have to look at like things like how Street Fighter 4 was currently performing on the PlayStation 4 because that actually came out. They had the port of Street Fighter 4 come out before Street Fighter 5 did, right? Uh, the one with the input leg that got fixed and all that kind of stuff. Um, we were able to play it, you know, on the new console and, you know, experience a little bit higher resolution, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, there, is, there is reason to believe that, this could hit like closer than we're used to. I don't think Street Fighter Six is, is three years out, as you say. It's like Capcom could probably elongate the coverage of Street Fighter Five a little bit longer, maybe another year or two. Um, I don't know if it's going to stretch on for three, right? And and when Street Fighter Five was first announced, we actually got like about a year of um, uh, you know announcement and releases and marketing and all that kind of stuff. They showed it at Capcom Cup, uh, and then we you kind of had a whole year out before you know we actually got our hands on the game. So. Um, there, there's a lot of ways this can break, but just looking at what Street Fighter V currently is and what it sells like and all the kind of stuff that, that it's all mixed together, right? It's, it's just not as good as it should be. And you look at things like Mortal Kombat 10, uh, you look at Smash, you look at what those games are doing sales-wise, you look at what Monster Monster Hunter is doing for them, Resident Evil, Devil May Cry, all that kind of stuff. It's doing better than what Street Fighter is. And I, I think that with a re-emphasis on single-player content and really good, like a great launch, all that kind of stuff, um, I think that's kind of what Capcom is looking at, that Street Fighter V is certainly not dead. It's just like, why not move on to the next thing when it makes pretty good sense to do so? And, and that's one of the main angles you and I are coming at with this, is like, we're both thinking it makes pretty good sense to do so here with the new consoles coming out in 2020, so we're probably looking at a 2021, 2022 release date. Um, still a ways off, but you know, not super far off, you know, for, for us. Well, if they do 2022 and they're looking at going really hard in esports, I'm not saying that that's not possible, but that means that they're going to have to finish this year's pro tour, do next year's pro tour, and then do another pro tour, potentially all on street fighter five. And that's a lot. It's not impossible. Yes. And especially the reason why I give that hope at all is because you might have other entities like Street Fighter League, which that's looking pretty good right now. I'm not sure how much Capcom is actually benefiting from it, but I think if they keep going, I think it's a good product and I think they will. It just depends on if they stick with it and if they're seeing good enough numbers to justify moving forward. But if you have that as a regular thing and maybe one or two other sort of uh, sort of entities like that, then maybe you can ride the Street Fighter V esports wave for that much time. But to me, from, from my side of things, the information Information that I can see right now, it really much more looks like it would be more of a 2021 move on to Street Fighter 6 if you're doing, like they said, Street Fighter is their esports thing and they're going hard with esports. I don't know that you can risk 
the Street Fighter Five is fine, but man, it is not. It is not as hype as it as it even you know. I mean, it's, it's doing all right. I don't want to go too far and say that it's not hype, but I don't know that the wave of Street Fighter Five in esports and in keeping people's attention is gonna you know have that much left in it. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's a really great thing that you're bringing that up there in the context of you know esports stuff. We've talked about it quite a bit here. This is not a a issue for Capcom in terms of like, oh yeah, esports is a thing we do. It's like all over their investor relations page, they say esports up and down, left and right, how it is a gigantic initiative for their company. So it's not just something they're pushing. It is like, this is one of the main things we are pushing. This is one of the most important things our business is doing. How do you do that without a proper fighting game out there to support it? Obviously we have Street Fighter V, but again, we keep talking about the game probably being past its midway point in terms of its lifespan. Like Mm -hmm. I don't see it lasting you know another like three years beyond this right um so it makes some sense here especially when you're limited to one console you've had the, the botched launch that you did with this game it makes a lot of sense to get another flagship product out there if that's a marvel 4 if it's a street fighter you know we don't really know we just know it's making a heck of a lot of sense for capcom to get a very high quality product out there again you can't just rush out a product and say hey it's ready you know let's do this blah 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 we've already seen the results of that many many times you can't do that again you know mm-hmm. it's just but um you know if there's a reason I think like I think there's a reason how come the the development of Street Fighter Five has slowed down considerably. Look at all the things that we got. We got a story mode. We got a bunch of DLC characters. Um, we got you know uh, the dojo mode. Um, we've got the uh, fortune cookie. Our fortune cookie. Um, I, I should know this, but not in Rose, right? But uh, uh, fighting chance. You know, fighting we got a, chance. There yeah. we go. And we got a bunch of you know uh, extra updates in the game. The CFN got you know really uh, uh, full featured and all that kind of stuff. Um, there's been a lot of things that have happened development wise since the game came out and. And that that rate of of updates and and kind of new content coming has slowed down to a trickle now or to nothing actually. Um, you know, well, okay, we got the stage at night, but whatever. <laughs> anyway, it slowed down tremendously from what it was. And again, you have to assume that those developers who are working on the game and getting it to a high degree have moved on to another title within Capcom, whether that's a fighting game or you know whatever title they happen to be working on. Yeah. Um, but again, with their esports statements, and I think you've read this very closely, they've mentioned Street Fighter a number of times, right? Yes. Yes. The, the Street Fighter, it's it's not, it's very clear that they're doing this with Street Fighter, at least that's what they're telling their investors right now. <laughs> yes. So that's kind of where all this stuff is building up with us. Like we're, we're looking at it and going, how well can we read the tea leaves and understand what incentives that that you know um, Capcom has to launch brand new content here? And hey, let me throw you a curveball mm-hmm. when you're done with this. But I'll let you finish this thought. But there's a curveball I want to make sure I don't miss. Well, you know what? Now you now you throw me off by throwing me All that right. curveball. So go for Let's it. Let's do yeah. the curveball. <laughs> so uh, I was talking with Dakota recently, Dark Horse, right? And this is something that's it's it's going to be something that he probably ends up tackling. But it was very very intriguing to me. And um, it's just, this is just a passing thought, and there's no real evidence beyond what I'm just saying here. But Capcom has been doing a whole bunch of crossover stuff from their old fighting games and other IPs with these um, characters right, in Street Fighter V, right? So, like the guest costumes, we just had Shade, Sagat, and you know, you got Strider, Zeku, and, and all those kind of things, Mega Man Ryu. The idea that a Capcom All Stars might be in the works something along those lines and if there's like enough street fighter so it's like a street fighter versus capcom sort of a thing 
maybe the you know this is this is a, in a, at least in part preparation to see what those kind of characters might look like in these updated kind of graphics and if they kind of flow and if people like them kind of gauge interest see where we're going with that maybe that's somewhere on the horizon as well and that prospect it, to me is very exciting all right so i i am a huge fan of that idea but i will just say that if you get the opportunity to work with marvel versus doing that you work with marvel because marvel has the biggest ips on the planet and in the sales and the, the hype you generate from that you you have to take marvel up on that and go again you know and i agree I, and and so that's the only detractor i think and Mm, okay, I might get myself into trouble here. There are rumors I have heard um, from people I definitely respect uh, that your idea that you just pitched here has definitely been in the works here uh, at some points in time at Capcom. And maybe one of the flops we saw in the Versus series as of late that rhymes with Binfinite, um, <laughs> it might have actually started off as a Capcom versus Capcom All-Stars kind of fighting game. And and basically they got the license for Marvel kind of last minute. Um, if you listen to the developers at that time actually go and talk about this, they were very dodgy about how long the game had been in development for. They were asked outright at that E3 multiple times and, and no one would say how long it had been in development for. That's uncommon. That is not, mm. uh, you know, most people will be like, oh, yeah, you know, we've been working on this for about like, you know, two or three years or whatever. Um, for some reason, they were very dodgy about it. And I, I so I don't know the full story for sure, but I definitely have it on good authority that the Capcom All-Stars fighting game has been in development uh, at, at their company at certain points in time um, or at least one point in time. And I don't know what happened to it. Um, games are very fickle, you know, in terms of, of like what we see. Uh, and what actually kind of just gets killed in the development process, hey, this isn't going to work. You know, we, we've gone far enough. Uh, you can look at the prototypes of like Smash Brothers to see like what stuff looks like in prototype phases, right? Mm. Uh, I mean, that was like the stick figure fighting game, right? And then they stuck the Nintendo characters in there and, you know, we have what we have now. Um, a lot of things could happen in development time, but, uh, but there so it is. So maybe it's kind of hanging out with Tekken Cross Street Fighter in development Frozen Hell or something along those lines. And we'll see if it comes back out. It could be something like that. Yeah, or, I mean, we already got it, too. You know, and, or and we I mean, already got it, yeah. it, it's it's possible that that was what that was. You know, and and the other characters were kind of shoehorned in there like last minute to make everything fit. Uh, if I had to bet, if I was a betting man, I actually think that's what happened. I don't have it on good authority, but I have enough of the the missing pieces behind the scenes from talking to people that I believe something like that did happen. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, but anyway, uh, it would be hype and it would be good, but uh, but yeah, um, there it is. So uh, this stuff is very interesting in that. Um, you never know what Capcom is going to do. They're actually fairly unpredictable with some of their licensing stuff that came out there. And I'll just reiterate that um, back when they made HD Remix, uh, Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo HD Remix, there were a huge portion of the company that wanted to do Alpha 3. Uh, and, and they were really pushing hard with that. Like, hey, let's get Alpha 3 out there. Uh, and this is a game that sold very well. Um, you know, it, it, was, it was a very beloved title for a lot of people. Not competitively. Like, competitively, it was not very well thought of. Uh, you know, people look at the Daigo and, and you know, Alex Valle matches and all that and go, oh, this game must have been amazing. No, it was pretty much garbage. <laughs> it sucked as a well, competitive Alpha game. Alpha 2 was like the competitive standard, right? Even after 3 came out or something yes. along those lines? Yeah, yeah. A, a lot of people preferred Alpha 2 because it was a better competitive game. But a lot of people played Alpha 3 because it was 
you know, I mean, all the it characters, all, yeah, and and so it was it was a bit of a you know a twisty and turny road there. But anyway, what I'm getting at is this stuff is very interesting. What happens behind the scenes, and you just quite you just don't ever know. And I don't think John or I would either be like either one of us be shocked if they said, hey, you know what, uh, we've got Street Fighter Alpha Four coming out in a year or two. You know, no Street Fighter Six, no you know Marvel. It's Street Fighter Alpha Four. Uh, we've wanted to update this for the longest time. Here you go. You know, and it's. It could happen, right? So there it is. Yeah. As long as an Alpha 4 could carry the competitive scene, I think that's the big thing. It's like, would enough of your competitive scene play this game to make it a a Pro Tour-centric game? Yeah. And I think that if you, you do the proper game balance and you stick it on the Pro Tour, I think that people would follow pretty easily. It's The Alpha series is not a huge departure from what we know in you know, Street Fighter proper. It's very, very similar. It just kind of has a different you know uh, suffix on it, basically. Round 2. All right, and now with this segment of the Event Hubs podcast, we're going to bring in Steven Dream King Chavez, also known as the Rocket Man around these parts. <laughs> and, and I say that because I love to troll my staff members and link up stuff like William Shatner performing Rocket Man, which if you have not witnessed on YouTube, I highly recommend you go do it. He, he pauses like three don't, seconds between do phrases. It. Just don't, just yeah, don't do I, it, guys. I, yeah, I, I'm not going to... Well, I, now I kind of want to do it like and like, you know, do the performance. <laughs> Here, but it is it is amazing it kind of set the tone here for us today you know bringing steven in and so now he is the rocket man rocket man what do you think about banjo kazooie in smash brothers oh boy um so upon the reveal of that trailer i was you know i was and am excited uh elated other e-words for happy um i i jesus man it's that's a long time coming and it's a character that i've wanted for a really really long time I think a lot of other people have as well, and he looks, they look fantastic. Um, it's its its unbelievable that it actually happened. <laughs> I've been having a really hard time writing about Banjo-Kazooie in articles because it's a they, but it's always been just, it's Banjo-Kazooie, and it always abbreviates mm-hmm. to just Banjo, so I don't know if I put him in the plurals. I don't know what their pronoun is, so I just say they. <laughs> yeah, I've just been doing the hyphenated version that Nintendo did. It's usually better to stay with the official because it's easier, uh, and then if I reference them, I'll call them the duo and stuff like that a little bit uh a little bit easier. The bear though, and yeah. the bird, yeah. The bear you know, and the it's, bird, yes. it, You said it's been a long time coming, and it absolutely has. This character, these characters, I'm going to say this character, is <laughs> is so perfect for the Smash universe, right? Like, mm-hmm. he completely fits in. And even before Banjo-Kazooie was a thing, Banjo was actually in, like, a, a well, I guess a crossover game, right, in Diddy Kong Racing. He's already had, yep. you know, he's been out in other... Um, um, games and other universes and such, but man, if there were a, was a character made for Smash, it is the Banjo Kazooie duo, and it's like a cosmic injustice for like every Smash game that's been made without these these guys in there. But now they're finally there, and they well, I think they look pretty good. What do you think they look like? They they look great. I mean, it's it's funny because we we wrote an article. I, I wrote an article for the site um, talking about you know. If Banjo and Kazooie made it into to Smash Ultimate, how would they play? Uh, and I kind of ran through a lot of the moves that I think that they would have if they were in Smash. Uh, quite a few of them actually turned out to be that way. Uh, it, it's pretty awesome. I mean, they have the uh, the various you know egg projectiles and stuff like that with the grenades. They have you know um, the the spring jump and, and all that. And it's it's classic Nintendo really hitting the home run with fan service. It's like there are every little detail in there that you would want from, you know, that character and it's in the game now. It looks awesome. 
speaking of fan service, how good was that intro video <laughs> that, that teased it? It was Nintendo did this right because they thought of the entire presentation yesterday, which I highly recommend you go back and watch at least the Smash portions, which it's the beginning and end, right? Mm. Of another character yeah. that is cool, but very, very much, if that were all that they showed, it would have been incredibly underwhelming because of expectations, mm-hmm. what people have been talking about with the leaks. Like we've said, how important Banjo is as a smash kind of character well just to clarify underwhelming for some people right in the general uh, a lot public. of people love yeah a lot of people love dragon quest that's a very very popular ip in japan uh that i'm sure really pleased japanese audiences and people who are fans of the series it's it's uh, uh you know it's it's not like it's a complete dud or anything like that it's just there's uh you know the western audiences were looking for a little bit something a little bit different i feel like and then you know yeah i'll probably let you or i'll let you finish the other uh, thought there but i know where you're going yeah i so. super didn't care uh <laughs> well okay so i'll give you this the sentiment like uh the various you know different chats and you know the work chat that we're in for example or like you know the best mm-hmm. of five guys uh we're you know pretty often respond to these things and people are like oh man i hope this isn't it was the sentiment it's like cool glad glad mm-hmm. to have a new character but um, and, and that's not for everybody. I think Majin Tension Hand was super excited to see this character. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, the general was like, like I'm, I'm really hoping for, like, Banjo, or there were a few other names that were out there that were really big, like, uh, this. Uh, we're really hoping Nintendo does this. So they kicked the Direct mm-hmm. off with one reveal, and it's cool. It's like, and then there's, you know, a good 40 minutes in between, and then they show Banjo, and not only do they do that, they've kind of already teased audiences with uh, this initial reveal, um, and it not being Banjo. But then uh, they they did a callback to one of their other reveals earlier um, in the uh, the Smash reveal line uh, with King K. Rule, but they, they kind of churched mm-hmm. it up for this one. You want to explain what happened, though? Yeah, it, it's so funny because um, Banjo-Kazooie or Banjo and Kazooie, they've, they've been uh, a character that has been at the top of my list of, of characters I've wanted in Smash for so long. And also at the top of that list is King K. Rule. Um, and so when... Nintendo initially, you know, revealed King K. Rule. They did this really, you know, this amazing trailer where, you know, it's Donkey Kong and Diddy Kong there, you know, in their their cabin in the jungle and stuff. And they they hear something going on outside. They look out the window and there's this giant silhouette of King K. Rule, you know. Um, and then it turns out that it's actually King DDD, like in disguise and completely trolls the audience. It's it's so great. And everybody's like, oh, you know, people have wanted K. Rule for so long and they got completely trolled. You know, and then the real K. Roll pops up and, and, you know, destroys DDD or whatever. Uh, and so with Banjo, it's it's like they basically redid that trailer. But this time, you know, K. Rule was in the cabin with uh, Diddy Kong and Donkey Kong. Uh, it's the same beats and everything. Uh, you see, you know, the, the silhouette of Banjo and Kazooie instead. And then it turns out to be the, the duck the hunt perfect dog and the bird. troll. Yeah. It's, it's awesome because they did it already and they know they did it already. And it still worked completely. Like, it was still hilarious. Still awesome. Everybody the loved it. The duck hunt it. dog like, laughs at you in the yeah. in what is probably the most single uh, like if you looked up the video game dictionary of frustrating. There's a lot of yeah. things that you know go back to, but I think the most popular is just the image of the duck hunt dog laughing at you. It's just taunting you when you miss your zapper shots. You know, like when you miss all the clay pigeons. It's 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 so iconic, and it's like they. They totally did it and it worked and you know it didn't I don't think it psyched anybody out really this time but I don't think anybody cared it was still just in such great taste to do it uh it landed it worked and it, it shows you know more of just how Nintendo has their fingers on the pulse of you know what's going on and what people really want it's just they continue to set the bar higher for K 
character reveals and absolutely absolutely and this is even coming off of well you know nrs we talked recently about shang sung Mm -hmm. and how good that was so it's a good time you know kind of across the board right now um i don't think anybody's dropping the ball with character reveals to my knowledge no Mm -hmm. uh but but we won't we won't go there uh but i wanted to say that uh, (laughs) as far as having your finger on the community pulse the nintendo as we've just set up right now very much did that but as a mm-hmm. in something i think we'll get into in a little bit too thinking about banjo kazooie as a character uh, absolutely a fan favorite um and mm-hmm. i've actually been watching banjo kazooie speedruns and kind of reliving my childhood and sure enough <laughs> the speedrunners as they kind of articulate what they're doing um as they go through these games extremely quickly they talk about it so often if you probably remember as a kid when you did this part and fell off this ledge a hundred times because it was extra hard mm-hmm. and they say that so many times you probably remember as a kid doing this and that is perfect diction for their audience more or less so many of us are just nostalgic about this character so the way they did this character um, I think first and foremost I don't know how how big a general reach Banjo will actually have in the grand scheme of how much money Nintendo and Smash Bros. could make with their character choice for DLC. I know he's an absolute favorite amongst a lot of us, but, uh, you know, the Mm -hmm. Smash audience is, what, like 10 million strong at this point or something ridiculous Mm -hmm. like that? I don't know how many are going for Banjo. You know, um, I I actually do want to jump in there. I wonder personally, I don't have any figures to back this up, but how much DLC sales, like for all games, are powered by hardcore people? Because we always talk about, mm-hmm. you know, this game sold 10 million or, you know, whatever, how many copies. Like, I wonder what the ratio is of hardcore buyers. Like, because, you know, hardcore people are going to buy anything you stick in front of them. If they really love a product, it's like, I'm getting that. I don't care who it is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I've mm-hmm. always wondered about that. Like, I, I I wonder if there's just kind of a huge ratio change when you switch over to a hardcore audience um, that, you're appealing, mm-hmm. that you t- appeal to with DLC. Yeah, and sure. I, I think that Banjo and Kazooie, it's like, they haven't had a brand new game in their you know series for a good while. I mean, I think the last one was Nuts and Bolts. Uh, Do you count that one? We don't talk about that one very much because <laughs> it's it's Nuts and Bolts, and my brother liked it for some reason. I definitely didn't like it, but it came back. It came out back in you know November of two thousand eight, um, and so it's like on that front, it's kind of hard to justify Banjo and Kazooie being in the game. It's like they haven't had something new for a good while. But on the other side of the coin, I think that they do have a great uh, general appeal because, or, you know, appeal to casuals because it's like that's a character that's, you know, th- that duo is so memorable. It's like they I don't think anybody would fight me in saying that, you know, Banjo-Kazooie, the series is probably, you know, some of the best games ever made on Nintendo 64. And there might even yeah. be an argument for some of the best games ever made. Um, it's a moment for for the platformer genre. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, they, they lead it. I mean, it's like that's probably the best platformer in that you know that genre of platformer i think that might be the best example of it maybe mario 64 oh, you gotta be careful mario, yeah, mario 64, 64 and sunshine but, and all that stuff yeah but it was very very good right. i agree with you 100 those games are a little bit different banjo kazooie did take inspiration from mario 64 but i think banjo kazooie pushed it more into the collectibles more of the you know learning new techniques they kind of took what mario 64 did and you know went further with Metroid it. Metroid Yeah. That having been said, <laughs> Mario 64 is legendary, one of my favorite games of all time. So don't, you know, destroy me on, on Twitter. Or Everybody anywhere. at Steven. <laughs> yes, please do. At the King of Dreams. Uh, but, you know, it's it's just, there's there's a big casual uh, appeal, I feel like, with these, with these characters because, you know, Smash Brothers has kind of become this, 
uh, a, a nod to you know uh, iconic gaming characters. Like you have all of these different characters, you know, like Snake from Metal Gear. You know, you got uh, Cloud from Final Fantasy. It, it's kind of become a lot bigger than what it was before, and you know, you can't really have iconic gaming characters without Banjo and Kazooie. Like, I think so many people know them, and you go, oh, I know that character. I love Smash Brothers. I'm going to get that damn character. Yeah. A super win as far as acknowledging the community. I don't know. I wish I knew how much money Nintendo stood to make with a like a choice like Banjo-Kazooie versus uh, you know somebody else that might have a more general reach. And maybe they are that. Maybe they do have this general reach. But I would imagine that if that were the case, we probably would have seen them sooner mm-hmm. in a Smash game. Or maybe there's red tape with the Microsoft acquisition and all that stuff. I'm not certain. Mm-hmm. But in any case, I think a lot of people are happy that they're here. And I think that uh, uh, it was a really good move by Nintendo. I'd I, I like to hear that they're kind of actually losing money on this, but they're doing it to acknowledge the fans because, mm-hmm. like, again, like another you know hand to them. So, uh, but yeah, yeah, good good feelings all around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can hear both you guys are very hype about this, but one guy who was not hype about this was Locus, um, and he actually said <laughs> on Twitter in advance, if Banjo gets announced for Smash on Tuesday, I'll give everyone that retweets this tweet a free hour of coaching. And then he added, "It's not happening." Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, we know what happened here. And so now he actually, uh, someone did the math and he owes the community 300 straight days of coaching. Uh, he <laughs> got 10,000 oh retweets. He actually, we actually reached out to him for our story and he said, I really did not expect this tweet to get that much traction. Uh, I didn't expect Banjo to make it into Smash, obviously. Uh, that being said, I, I have a ton of fun with the whole situation. I'm actually excited to find a solution that will make people happy and won't lead to me pushing myself too hard either. Um, so he, he's definitely taken this in stride and, you know, very good spirits and all that kind of stuff. But it's just, it's a classic thing of, of a player or, you know, maybe uh, website people putting their foot in their mouth and going, oh, crap, like, uh, mm-hmm. well, uh, that I, didn't work out so well. So. I have a solution for him. What he can do is he can just, once Super Bowl time rolls around, he can predict who's going to win the Super Bowl and tell us all, and then we can just uh, put a bunch of money on the other team, and we'll all be even at that yeah, point. there it is. That sounds about right. <laughs> so getting into the next thing here, um, I was speculating with the guys that, this deal doesn't have a lot of benefit for Microsoft. Like Banjo-Kazooie is not a huge IP for them right now. They're not doing a lot with it. And I kind of wondered, you know, Nintendo and Microsoft are getting very cozy right now. They have a bunch of business deals. And and this is certainly very much in the speculation realm of things. But I wondered about a Master Chief appearance in Smash and why Boom. that might, yeah, why that might make some sense for them. Uh, Microsoft has, you know, uh, a brand new Halo game coming out, uh, Halo Infinite, which that name is definitely not jinxed and you should use it every time <laughs> you think you can. Um, but uh, it, it's, you know, so I was kind of throwing this around with the guys and kind of see what they, they thought, like, what how does that hit you do you guys think it's possible there it is yeah i i think that it could happen um that would make the most sense to me in terms of like what microsoft is getting out of this deal with you know banjo being in smash uh Outside of that, the only other logical explanation I could think there is that maybe they're trying to gauge interest in making a new Banjo game, you know, Microsoft platforms and stuff like that. But I think that there might be a little bit more here, kind of like you're saying. Um, you know, as I said earlier, you know, Smash is kind of this this museum of, you know, a nod to, uh, you know, iconic gaming characters and stuff. And it's like Master Chief kind of fits that bill, too. You know, I mean, he's he's definitely a really really popular character you know from a, a massive ip in gaming uh i think he's probably hit icon status by now uh so i could see that happening um but i do think that the xbox scarlet's coming out in you know um holiday 2020 right and so mm-hmm. 
I believe uh, Halo Infinite's not coming till 2021, uh, but the Smash DLC is wrapping up in early 2020. So I kind of wonder if, you know, we might not see him this time around, uh, Master Chief and Smash, but I do kind of have the feeling that based on the success that Nintendo's seeing, you know, with Smash right now, uh, we might get a season two of characters. Uh, and I think that that's when we'll see a Master Chief, uh, maybe not in this initial five, but maybe five more for next year. Um, I mean, I can't imagine that their DLC sales are bad right now for Smash. I mean, they they sold, what, 13.81 million copies of the game already? Uh, like the It's like the highest, you know, selling fighting game ever or whatever. Um, you bought Piranha Plant 10 times, didn't you, uh, by yourself? <laughs> yeah, pretty much, yeah. I had to download them 100 times because it didn't work. But, um, but yeah, so it's like I think that there might actually be uh, another wave coming eventually. Uh, it's like there's so many characters in the game already, so it's kind of hard to say, but... I can't imagine them stopping now just because of the climate and how things are going with fighting games and, you know, just the, the success of the game. And it's funny because um, before launch, uh, Smash Brothers was breaking street date, like around the world. People were getting copies like, you know, the week before uh, and people, of course, doing what they do. They data mined it. And supposedly there were rumors that um, they found placeholders for 30 more characters in Smash. And it's obviously it's rumor right now. It's not something to, you know, take to the bank, but it's like. Maybe there's something there. Maybe there's going to be more characters down the road. Maybe Nintendo has a four-year plan or something for the game. We don't know. Um, but that would be my best guess, that if Master Chief is going to be in the game, he's going to be with the next wave of characters, if there is one. Yeah, I don't know how, with the logistics of the timing and, and the, the plans for hyping up the new Halo and how that all works together, if he's more likely for this, it sounds like he'd be more likely for a Season 2 DLC pack or something like that, but I, I do feel like when that came up, like this conversation of John says something along the lines of Master Chief could be in Smash, my reaction is probably what a lot of other people's first reaction is. It's like, no, no, no. Those are puzzle pieces that don't fit together. That's silly. Master Chief is doing his thing. Smash is its own thing. And that just, those don't cross over. And I think that's like kind of an initial, almost unconscious reaction. And I think that that would be true way back in the day. But as you were saying, Steven, Smash has, it started out already as this crazy thing with Nintendo characters crossing mm -hmm. over, right? So you had Yoshi fighting Donkey Kong, fighting Link, fighting Mario, fighting Captain Falcon. Right. And, and that was crazy. And it was different. And we've seen a lot of attempts at that kind of a thing before. Um, not only in in fighting games like you know PlayStation All Stars, but racing games, and there's there's been it's been done before. But Smash Bros. did it and it worked. So then they moved to like level two, right? And they did it a little bigger with Melee, and they grew their their clout and their name and the franchise. And then you got to Brawl, and you broke a new mold with characters like Sonic and like Snake because they weren't Nintendo. And we suddenly expanded into like. Our, our normal yard, our normal realm, plus we've gone into another one mm -hmm. and it still worked. So then you take one more step and one more step and Smash has grown from this museum and celebration of Nintendo characters to a museum and celebration of video game characters. Yep. It's not just you know confined to Nintendo anymore. Mm -hmm. So I think about that and I go with where Smash has slowly but surely grown into and it, who knows where it's going to stop. Right. But it is now big enough and broad enough 
for a character like Master Chief. And if you want evidence of that, I mean, look at Snake. It's very similar in, in a lot of respects as far as what we're talking about here. Completely different universe. Would you ever expect Snake and Smash? You think about a character like Banjo-Kazooie, sure. Mm-hmm. It's about the same size as what you would see as a lot, you know, a lot of other Smash characters. And it's 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 animated as, a, as opposed to more realistic humanoid. Um, but sure enough, they've figured out how to put Snake in there and Wii Fit Trainer and just about anyone. Um, and they've they've shown us and they've gotten us they've gotten us used to the water, so to speak, and how we can have all mm-hmm. these different characters. Whether it's like the the visuals are incredibly different, or they're just from an absolutely different and insane video mm-hmm. game world, it all works. And Master Chief seems to be one of the next prime picks for this universe as they continue to expand it out into space, <laughs> right? Um, because <laughs> sure sure i mean like i i can absolutely see them doing this now and uh halo is a little rocky because halo 5 didn't do quite as well and it, it's it doesn't have um it's not at a high point we'll say in the series but master chief and halo have become so damn iconic in the gaming world that i think a little flub up of, of halo 5 isn't enough to shake things and um and so yeah it's very possible and i and i now that it's out there now that we're talking about it and i'm thinking about it i go it's hard to find another character outside of master chief that might be a better pick for smash so but we'll see it's funny, too, because I know the initial reaction to Master Chief and Smash is very much like a nope, it's impossible. It could never happen because, you know, the main reason for that is, you know, these two companies are competitors like you could never have that. Right. But if you look at somebody like Sonic the Hedgehog and, you know, Catalyst and I were talking earlier this week about um, the console wars back in the day of, you know, Super Nintendo versus Sega. And it's like if you look at that stuff, that's such a that that's probably the biggest rivalry in video game business ever. Uh, and it's like that if you if you told somebody it, during that time that Sonic's going to be in a Nintendo game down the road, mm-hmm. they'd laugh in your face because of how vicious these companies mm-hmm. were against each other. And lo and behold, times changed, things evolved. And then we have Sonic the Hedgehog in Smash. And it's like, you know, you could look at, again, Microsoft versus Nintendo now. And it's like they're cozying up to each other. They've they've been, you know, over the past you know year or so, they've been working out deals together. I mean, it started with Minecraft and, you know, back in uh, 2000, uh, last year in 2018, where, um, you know, Microsoft enabled crossplay on the, the Switch version with all of their versions. Um, and it's like, they've just been kind of progressively adding more and more influence there. And, you know, we and you have to mention Cuphead, like yeah, your favorite game exactly. ever. Like it's a, the Microsoft, yeah, they put it over there. So yes. Yeah. And it, it's funny because, you know, you're that Cuphead is such a, a, an indicator of how the times are changing, especially, you know, uh, an indicator of, of Microsoft's flexibility right now, because these companies are starting to realize, like, if we work together, we can, you know, broaden our audiences, you know, benefit more gamers and just kind of do better across the board. Uh, and Cuphead is such a great example because it's like here you have this massive, you know, massively popular indie game that's so unique and, and you know, it's it's done so well and Microsoft has the rights to it. And you would think they're going to lock that down, right? They don't want to give that to anybody. It, it's such a popular game. I mean, there's there's merchandise. I mean, I don't know if there's a more popular, you know, indie character mm-hmm. around right now. I mean, just in terms of like general popularity. I mean, again, you can find Cuphead merchandise and hot topic for christ's sake it's like it's it's crazy and it's you know hold on hold on hold on hold on you go into hot topic 
I've never gone into Hot Topic in recent times. God. <laughs> used to buy band shirts there. I don't go there on the internet forever, and I'm going to clip that, and any time we have any kind of disagreement in the water cooler chat, I'm going to post it. We can finish the, the, the podcast is over. We've got what we need, John. Uh, if you want to say anything else, that's fine, but I'm good. Uh, yeah, I, I in my searches for Cuphead merch online, it sent me to Hot Topic, so everybody can you know, Own calm it, down with Own that it. one. It's fine. Burn it's me. cool. Do you get... <laughs> Avenged Sevenfold vinyls there too, and <laughs> just yeah, I, I went to a concert uh, Avenged Sevenfold my parents before. Nice, so. it was corn opening for them. Anyways, yeah, let's continue. <laughs> but yeah, so it's you look at somebody like Cuphead and, and that IP, and it's you you would think Microsoft wouldn't want to let that go because it's so successful, it's so popular, and then they launch it on Switch, and it's like that's something that really shows just how far these companies have come and it's like they're even starting to implement you know they're in the early stages of implementing things with you know xbox live on the switch uh they're starting to build this relationship and of course now banjo uh in in smash um it's it's just showing that these companies are starting to realize like look if we're not at each other's throats all the time we can actually do a lot of great things not only for ourselves and our companies but for the community and the gamers and it's just it's just great to see to add on a little bit more to um, Reggie, uh, the former president of Nintendo of America, had an interesting statement here about potentially like guest characters being like the only characters left for Smash, you know, this this year of DLC or season or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and his quote here is, these are going to be characters that are new to the series, just like Joker from Persona 5. This is back when Joker was announced. Characters you would not expect to see in Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. And, and so it Master Chief and some of these other characters we're talking about kind of fit this bill. It's like, okay, well, like, who are the most iconic characters that you can get that would be guest characters kind of left over? And we're kind of going down the list of, like, they're either in the game or there's not many left of them or you've already hit, like, that franchise before. Like, you know, Square Enix, we've got Cloud, you know, from Final Fantasy, right? Like, how many entrants are you going to have besides Fire Emblem, which we'll ignore, but, like, how many entrants are you going to have from, you know, like, one franchise, basically? And, And I think Master Chief really fits that bill quite a bit. And it's hilarious that we still don't have Waluigi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at, at this point, honestly, it's like, I mean, I know people are going to, some people are going to get angry about it, but it's like, Waluigi's, I don't know. I, I wouldn't pick him to be in Smash. I mean, he's he's kind of whatever for me um, because I think there's just so many better choices that you can make right now. And of course, this is the episode where I just totally torch myself and, you know, everybody's going to kill me for it. Um, but just speaking of Cuphead, I mean, I, I that's another character that I think would be amazing in Smash. Uh, I've actually written an article about that, and um, it's just one of those unexpected characters that if Nintendo did it, it would be another one of those reveals that kind of sends shockwaves through the community and through the, you know, up on the internet. Um, and it's funny because, you know, a lot of different companies have talked about like, oh, you know, the, my character in Smash, like, you know, you had like Blizzard talking about Diablo in Smash and stuff like that. Like Bethesda saying that Nintendo and them uh, spoke about Smash Brothers before with with rumors about, you know, Doom Guy being in the game. Um, but you have, you know, the co-creator of Cuphead, uh, Jared Moldenhauer. He said, you know, in an interview, he said that uh, Cuphead and, and Mugman belong in Smash. Like, uh, it's a dream for me to get them in there. Um, and so... I kind of feel like if Nintendo's trying to not one-up themselves, but keep that excitement high and keep hitting people with these unexpected left hooks, uh, you get Cuphead in there. And Cuphead happens to have uh, a new installment of DLC coming out sometime this year. Maybe we get a a release slash announcement by the end of the year. I don't know, Um, but that would be awesome. I would love it. And... uh, 
but at this point, I don't think I can actually. Uh, I'm not allowed to request any more characters because I've gotten pretty much everybody yeah, I've ever greedy. wanted in Smash Brothers. Yeah, I, I can't do well, it. Well, still here, Cuphead and Smash. Here's a also. question though, and I just want you to answer. Uh, you can identify which character, um, and then tell me the answer to the ultimate question. But uh, okay, so if you get one more pick, and it's between these two, Cuphead or mm-hmm. your favorite clay fighter character who is that and and who would it be oh man um at this point i would say cuphead just because oh, man it, damn that's, that's a that's a damn good question though because I, I love clay fighter uh i love uh in clay fighter my character that i always play, picked was a uh, kung pao i believe hmm. uh but then i i did my favorite was ichabod clay uh that was my favorite yeah, character sense, just because yeah. he's like this yeah pumpkin head guy ghost that throws his head and stuff um but at this point, man, just Cuphead is such a good fit. And that's the Cuphead series or that game is just like one of my favorite games of all time. Uh, and it's I so hot just, right now. Yeah, exactly. It, it's just the, the IP is so popular uh, and it makes a lot of sense. Their moves would transfer over really well. Uh, again, considering what, you know, Jared Boldenhauer said about them and uh, the fact that the developers actually put a lot of fighting game influences into the game itself a lot of references and things like that. They're big fighting game fans. I mean, it just makes sense on a lot of levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've personally beat Cuphead uh, on Expert with all S-Ranks like maybe six, seven times now, uh, which is not easy to do, but I love that damn game and they won't give me the DLC, so I continue to play it <laughs> and just do it over and over again. And it's always as frustrating as the first time it was. So uh, it's it's just, I love that game. So I would have to go with Cuphead here. Um Having said that, I would love to see Clay Fighter come back because please bring it back. Somebody yeah. somebody buy that damn IP and bring it back, please. <laughs> and I guess that's all we have to say about that. Yeah, uh, Steven's got to go back to Hot Topic, so yeah. he'll, he'll catch us a little bit <laughs> later. Got to buy on. some Avenged Sevenfold shirts. Hey, yeah. So. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so next up, uh, I've been playing Street Fighter V online a lot, and... I've been running across some players who very much pissed me off when they're lagging out the match and all that. Uh, I've gotten up to Ultra Diamond ranked. I'm very happy about that. Um, but the thought process here comes in that when someone is is jeopardizing or let's say ruining the uh, competitive experience of playing online, I think they should be penalized for it. And my idea, just to just spit it right out there, is... If your connection spikes in latency, if your, your ping time goes up from, let's say, like a 200, which is not that good, you know, let's say something even better than that, let's say like something like a 50, which is pretty solid, right? Mm-hmm. And it jumps up to like, let's say, a 550. You should be penalized the entire round for that as soon as it basically as soon as it happens because you have ruined the the integrity of the online set and i know like people are freaking like laughing their asses off right now online sets having integrity well like well hey you know what um the cpt has online ranking events that reward very good point totals and actually one of our staff members just got point totals which we're going to talk to here in a little bit um and he's now on the leaderboard and other stuff like that like online play is important it it is a very important aspect of, of what we do right now and so to get into this here a little bit more is, is what would happen is you're both playing online and the server or wherever you're connected to can kind of see your connection jump up and like your ping time just get really crappy, right? Mm-hmm. And as soon as it sees that, it's like, okay, it either like lets you slide like one time when it happens or whenever it tells like you've compromised basically the matchup to a point where it's like, okay, someone could have missed something very crucial and important there. 
you're instantly, you know, penalized and, and you lose that round. And it doesn't mean that you can't play online. It doesn't mean that, you know, like, hey, I can't ever play online again because this happens. It's like, no, it's just one, fix your connection, get a better connection or tell people that are on YouTube or Netflix or whatever to hop off while you're playing online or do something like that to help preserve, um, you know, what you're trying to do. And if you can't do that, yeah, you're going to get penalized for it. So I don't like if people are trying to be, what is it? The good neighbor, right? They're not penalized for your crappy connection. And, and fighting games are one of the few online games that have this issue because you have basically shared latency back and forth. If you try this in a first-person shooter game like, you know, Fortnite or whatever, um, uh, it's the latency, like you have your latency to the server itself. And like if someone's lagging out, they just become like, you know, a, a sitting duck, right? They're, it's not, you're not really impacting the quality of the match for everyone else. You're not sharing the latency across all the players. Uh, with fighting games, it's very different. You have to keep stuff in sync. You want everyone kind of where they should be at. And if you are jeopardize, jeopardizing that for other players, in my opinion, you should be penalized for it. Okay, so let me play the role of the chorus here and kind of take on um, some of the first questions or um, even objections to this that I think people are going to come to because we're talking about um, we're talking about this concept that involves essentially consistency in the world of online lag, and I think there are few things that are like so when people think about them so polarly far apart than consistency and online lag right because you think of lag it's like it can spike up at any time and you're dealing with thousands or millions of, uh, of you know other people with each with their own connection and whatnot and so there are so many moving parts and so many variables when you when we talk about online connections as they sort of exist today in the public eye so uh, I think that there will be some initial backlash to this. Mm-hmm. I will also say, though, first and foremost, um, right out of the gate here, that I think that this is something that will eventually become the standard. But to get there, we have to have enough consistency in how we're able to basically execute an online connection and, and relationship between players. And uh, in the article that actually just went live on the website, and I'm kind of interested in refreshing the comments to see how people react to this thing. The very first one right now is I'm getting the popcorn out for this one. <laughs> um, and uh, but uh, so you you want to know? Uh, so so I think a big part of this is the way that the community views online and and our technology and our ability to really focus in and be able to measure things like which character or which player's connection is lagging and why and i know that we do have the technology here at least the way you lay it out here is pretty convincing in this article that we do indeed have the technology to do this. Yeah, and I mean, the the best comparison I can think of is actually the rage quitter system that most online games have right now. They can tell who rage quitted, usually. You know, it's not a perfect system. We know there are false positives that come up, right? And sometimes it's people being actually unaware that their connection just crapped out on them, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, some people don't realize that. But the technology for, for this is is, honestly, I think it might even be easier than the rage quitter detection systems that we have right now. It's kind of a twofold thing as far as I see it. You're going to have to convince people that the technology is is accurate enough to regulate and to monitor all of this um, on a very high level, like on a very mm-hmm. accurate level. And then you're also going to have to convince the companies that are making these games that the people believe that there's enough 
um, focus and accuracy in this. Once you've done that, I think that this becomes a thing. And ultimately, I think it makes online a much better place. But we have to get the technology there and we have to convince the people and we have to convince the companies that the people are convinced. Yeah. And one of the reasons I am putting this out there is I'm not 100% sure that like, oh, yeah, this you know system I'm proposing has no flaws and it's going to go perfect. I'm like, no, I don't know that. And it, that's one of the reasons I am putting it out there to see you know if people can poke holes in this. Uh, but one thing I will allude to right now and something you've brought up is that Mortal Kombat 11 actually has very similar um, uh, system going on right now. It just doesn't penalize you. Um, but what happens is it shows your ping time like right in the middle of the screen on the bottom. Uh, and so you can see if you're spiking up, are the opponent spiking up or not. And then when that happens they'll actually show like kind of like a disconnect icon or like you know your ethernet connection sucking basically and mm -hmm. hopefully you're playing on ethernet um so you can actually see when this is happening and basically what would happen at that point if we're using mortal kombat 11 is whoever was responsible for that issue and the game should be able to tell would get either a penalty flag or like you know they get flagged one time and if it happens three times like they lose a round or something like that would go on right you mm -hmm. want something that is um definitely putting the onus on the player with a bad connection to fix it. Like, and, and I get some people can't fix their crappy connection. It's like, okay, well, guess what? Uh, you can't play in super serious online ranked matches unless you do. You know, like th to protect the integrity of, of super serious online connections, you have to have this. And, and to clarify what I mean by that, uh, this would be for ranked mode only only ranked mode like by default at least uh playing in casual like it's like nah like don't have it there like casual matches are just for fun anyway right uh, and then in battle lounges um you have a toggle for that if you want to have this on you can you can also turn it off if you want to play your friends so brand new players and other people who are you know just wanting to play the game and have fun with it and they're probably not super serious about it anyway they don't really have to worry about this and then in ranked mode once you get to the equivalent of street fighter 5's gold rank like then this puppy comes on like it's actually disabled up until you kind of get to like hey you're a pretty serious player in this game and we see that you want to you know have an online you know competitive experience right Mm -hmm. So, you know, once your gold rank or higher, it comes up, they'd have to have a very clear message that this is now a thing. Uh, people with subpar connections could be penalized, you know, for playing online and you just, you know, the, make sure the penalty and all that kind of stuff is very clear. And again, it's, it's losing a round. You know, how many times have you lost a round to latency anyway, right? Like everyone loses those. Uh, I mean, if you play against Alex or Ken online, shots fired, you know that all the time, right? <laughs> so anyway, it's not like this is like the worst penalty ever. And it's like, if it happens to you 50 times, like you can't play anymore. It's like, no, you just lost a round. The other person's going to take the win. You know, it's it's like it's not like, you know, it's a huge, horrible penalty. You're just losing points because your connection can't keep up. Mm -hmm. So that I think is a really important distinction is in terms of how this is implemented, not just the technology, but like the approach that they have. And I generally want kind of like a, a, a smoother runway as we're first coming into it. And then it might need to get more draconian as we go on. But of course, you know, more draconian also means like we might be in 2021 and like all the connections are better. The technology is better. Let's go ahead and make sure people are, you know, kind of following uh, the letter of the Internet online play law a little closer. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, I do think that this is this is where the future is going to take us. Um, and I think it's a good thing. I think you're also going to have a lot of uh, people saying things along the lines of, well, if I don't have, you know, maybe you're penalizing people that don't have enough money to have good Internet or this is or that's. And um, I, I see where they be, like their where their mind goes to bring that up. But I think that that doesn't hold much water at all. You know, it's it's like 
they're, they're you know some people are penalized because they can't play the game because they don't have you know the the money to do that i mean where where is the line and i don't think that right. this is a very valid place to put that line so and i don't know maybe it wouldn't come up but i feel like it probably would oh, and, everything, and it's the internet people are going to complain about it but one of yeah. the things that you and i talked about is like okay well you know i don't have a good enough connection to you know or i don't have enough money to pay for a better connection it's like well you're probably missing out on a bunch of dlc characters too because if you don't have enough money to buy those you're probably missing like you know eight cast members or a bunch more you're unable to practice those matchups you're unable to like you know try some new things and all that kind of stuff you're already at a disadvantage um uh, this is definitely a it's a pay-to-play realm in video games here in 2019 and that's every freaking game out there um Mm -hmm. i get that like and i'm using pay-to-play a little bit loosely here or pay to win i guess i should say um it's certainly like a lot of companies definitely try to to minimize that factor as they should but if you're a tournament player and for some reason you can't afford the DLC characters, which I don't know how that's an issue, but let's say you can't, like you're at a pretty big disadvantage here. If you run across one of those players in tournament, you're probably going to lose. Mm-hmm. And, and if someone has some idea that you do, are not familiar with that, it's like, oh yeah, guess what? Like you don't know how to test any of this stuff out. You can't test it out in training mode. There's, oh my goodness. So I get it, but this just kind of goes to like, hey, guess what? This is what video games are here in 2019 and in the future. Like, kind of get with the times. If you're still playing on Wi-Fi, if you're still doing like, you know, you're still on your neighbor's internet, whatever, you know, kind of stuff. <laughs> like, don't try to go play serious online ranked matches. In you know, go how play- far off do you think this is going to be before um, this kind of thing actually starts being implemented? Okay, so the first thing I want is crossplay, right? Like crossplay has to be like a no. Uh, there's no way any modern AAA game can ship without that anymore, like type thing. That's my first thing, and then kind of after after crossplay is like fully implemented, I hope this is kind of the next step. I don't know which one will be easier or harder. You know, um, we we've got some really good companies out there, like the the people who made Killer Instinct, Microsoft, uh, Iron Galaxy Studios. Um, uh, they do some cutting edge kind of stuff like this, and they might see the system and go, Hey, you know what? Like this is a great idea. Let's go ahead and do it. Or they might have already you know had this idea and just couldn't implement it, right? Um, it's, there's a lot of things that could kind of go with this. So to answer your question, I, I think that there's a chance this stuff starts appearing in the next, you know, batch of AAA fighting games that come out. And again, I, I want to see it out there, even if it's a soft approach, like someone has to spike up like 20 times before they get a penalty. I just want to see it in action and see how it would work. Um, because man, does it, it, it just removing that feeling of being cheated, like, I, literally I have no control over someone else's leg online and they beat me because the game is just like flipping out and going crazy. It's like that completely makes me feel cheated and especially trying to rank up and get better. It's like, well, try to minimize that as much as we can. Why not do that? And, and yeah, it does seem almost antiquated now. And it's been like 20 minutes since we first got like fighting games online. Right. Remember jumping on maybe street fighter four for a lot of people or one of the old marvels or something like that. And now we're at a place where we're having a legitimate conversation about how, yeah, you shouldn't really be able to play this uh, at all, at least in the competitive realms of online, um, if your if your connection isn't strong. And I and I agree. It's just it's going to be a lot of social political red tape to get through before we get there. Yeah, uh, it, I'll just say that you know it, what you're saying. There's there has to be a lot of playtesting and trial and error by these companies. They have to do a lot of development work to make sure that people are not unfairly getting false positives and other things. That could be a major issue, and that is a much worse issue when you feel like you're not at fault. Are you know you're not at fault? I don't know how you would know, but let's say you know you know for a fact that you're having false positives, um, and the game is like just you know 
kicking your ass, like that's no good, you know, and, and that could be a much worse experience than it is right now. So you definitely have to perfect the technology and get it down to a high degree. Um, but I also feel like with the way things are right now, and I, I'm just comparing this to my own Street Fighter Five experience, I mentioned I'm Ultra Diamond, I'm playing quite a bit now. Um, I think this would impact less than 10% of the matches I play online right mm-hmm. now. And, and so that's not a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's most of the people I'm playing like very, like, uh, I just played up to snuff the other day. Uh, former Nikali player, we met him at Capcom Cup, really nice guy. Uh, and he's playing uh, Akuma now, which makes him a total asshole. But well, anyway, he's, he's still rocking mainly uh, Nikali. He's playing in Street Fighter yeah. League and he's playing mainly Nikali, but uh, but he definitely has a strong Akuma. Yeah, no, he's he's really, he's been kicking my butt. And, and I, I really like Steve. He's a good dude. Uh, so I have to give him some crap about it, but definitely kicking my butt. Um, but his connection is amazing. It is so buttery smooth. And like Dank Adias and a bunch of other people from SoCal is, is who I'm mainly playing right now uh and it's like i have zero complaints about the the latency i I play monot i am a leg snob up and down left and right uh and it's like most of the matches are are very close to what it would be offline like every now and again you have some you know issues and stuff and even when you're having those issues even those in my eyes would not cause the leg spike penalty that i'm talking about here it's like when you're seriously uh, harming the integrity of a matchup that's when it kicks in and it's like where you know the game is paused for like a second or something like that just like oh man you know yeah Round three. All right, and now we are joined by Majin Tenshinhan, who is better known as the best accent in the entire fighting game community. You got fifth place at an online uh, Capcom Pro Tour event. How are you doing, Nicholas? Uh, I'm doing all right. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, I got fifth, but it's online, so I wouldn't put too much stock in it. But at least I got some esports points. There we go. Yeah, actually, looking at this, uh, you got 10 CPT points. You are now 17th on the European leaderboards, and you are actually tied for the top 100 now on the overall CPT leaderboards. So, you know what? That's freaking awesome, and none of us can like, live up to that. So, I, I think it's pretty badass. And you did it with Alex. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you look at the results, it says Alex Ibuki, mm-hmm. and I used Ibuki for one match against Veggie right before I lost. But the whole way there was only Alex. What do you think about Alex as a character in this game? Like, because I we know about this behind the scenes, but a lot of people think he might be like secretly good or something like that. Hey, you got fifth place, you got top eight at a C- CPT event. Like, what do you think about Alex as a character in this game? He's terrible. Um, I wouldn't say he's absolutely the worst character, but he's very—he's he, not good at all. He's definitely bottom five. But the thing about Alex, which is very frustrating for the opponent, is. He has a lot of options, and these options aren't necessarily good, but you can't look for all of the options at the same time. So if you're looking for, I don't know what the maximum would be, but let's say you're looking for maybe six of my eight options, and I use one of the two you aren't looking for, and it lands, that's going to tilt you a lot. Especially if you know Alex, and you know, like, this stuff isn't even safe, why would he do that, or whatever, because you weren't looking for it at that precise moment. Yeah, the anger that follows when you get hit by that, and then how shook you are. Like you are, you don't see this unless you know uh, someone's playing Alex against you. I would sure you know, assume at least. Um, but you you start to kind of like quake with anger and fear as Alex hits you with like this unsafe kind of stupid options and whatnot. And especially when that freaking lariat comes out, that lariat like puts the fear of God into. See, to everyone. me, I'm thinking stun gun and big boot, but that just tells me that there's a bunch <laughs> of different things that Alex does. What about that V trigger, that parry V trigger? It's like, 
yeah, in a, in, a, in a vacuum, especially a laggy vacuum, this character has some moments to shine. But I think what you're getting at, what you said, Nick, was that uh, these options aren't actually very good. They're just good when you throw them all up in the air and sometimes you get lucky with the right call. And that's going to that's gonna lead to inconsistency. And that's why I think, the, in a nutshell, the character doesn't thrive. Mm, absolutely. But uh, I will say the Lariat is actually an amazing button. It's extremely good. Because it puts you in a mix-up on block, it gives you huge combo opportunities, well, for being Alex anyway, on hit, even without crush counter. Uh, the only real drawback with it is it has fairly high recovery, so if you do it at a bad range, you can get whiff punished, and that it whiffs on crouchers unless you're point blank. But, I mean, given all the positives it has, those drawbacks aren't really that bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Capcom is infamous for buffing that like every season and like not addressing Alex's other needs. So uh, we always yeah. joke that like Alex's Lariat is going to be like, you know, plus 50 on block and plus 50 on hit and like do 5,000 damage in season five. And there we go. Done. Called it. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, Nick, so we wanted to ask you, like a lot of people have not actually played in an online tournament before. How was the experience like, uh, of course, because you're, you're Nick and you juggle 5,000 things at once, like it's like nothing. Um, you're of course covering a tournament at that time. Right. But, um, sans the tournament coverage, like you're doing while you're playing in a tournament, like how, how was the experience for you? Well, I'm so used to, covering tournaments and how to go about it that it was fairly simple because you know i would start my match on my ps4 at the same time as i don't even know who was playing at that particular moment but let's say it was tokido and momochi or whatever i would start my match around the same time that they started theirs and i would have that up on the screen and between every round i would glance and just check like who's ahead what's the score maybe jot that down and then once i was done with my match i would put that into the site Man, so you were watching the stream and lagging it up for your opponent the whole time too. That was smart, smart play. <laughs> uh, I don't. Uh, uh, Swedish internet is a little bit better than that. I, I hear that. I, I've heard John talk about your internet before, and it's like one of those legendary kind of setups where it's it's super good. Um, I, I I think for most countries uh, it would be considered super good. For Sweden, it's like average. Yeah, it's like over a gigabit or something like that, right? Or somewhere around there. Um. Right now, I have 250 megabit up, 250 megabit down. I okay. had a gigabit before, but uh, I decided to downgrade uh, because I don't need a gigabit. Gotcha. Gosh, share the world. <laughs> uh, but I do think this is some kind of record for actually covering a tournament and placing in top eight while playing in one. So I don't think anyone's ever done that in human like fighting game history. So I think you just set a brand new record and we need to contact you know, like Guinness and stuff like that and get you in there. But there it is. So I guess that's possible. <laughs> I, I wanted to ask because uh, I've heard uh, bits and pieces, little uh, glances through the windows every so often as to how you approach Street Fighter, how much of a fervor you have for it, how much you've been practicing. And my understanding is that um, you've you you it's not your favorite but you're playing it and um that you go to your locals on a fairly regular basis and that as of recent maybe the last few months or so you've really dug in and been practicing harder than maybe ever before is that kind of accurate as to where you're at right now yeah pretty much um i've been playing street fighter 5 actively since it came out i like a lot of other fighting games more but uh i feel like and this is completely my personal feelings. It's not something that you guys have said or anything, but I feel like working at Event Hubs with Street Fighter V being the biggest game, I really should focus on that so I can make better content for the site mm-hmm. because I write pieces and stuff. 
And that's just something I feel on my own. So I've kept with Street Fighter V for the entire time. I've played Alex since he came out. I've been trying to go to other characters as well. And maybe one and a half years ago or something, I started playing around with Ibuki. And I've been fairly slow with like picking her up. But about six months ago, I started going hardcore with really playing tons every day. Uh, oh yeah, our <laughs> listeners might not know this, but I absolutely despise online fighting games. I think online in fighting games is awful. No matter how good the netcode is, it's never going to be good enough for me. Um, so and this is coming from the guy that, that just had a gig in it. Oh my gosh, we just talked about uh, <laughs> we just talked about something <laughs> like this. <laughs> but go on, go on. Yeah. So for the last six months or so, I was playing a ton. Uh, and uh, you went to Japan, also... right? Did you get to play with the Japanese yes. players? Yes, I had uh, some really good sets with Storm Kubo. Uh, actually, I met him at one of the offline sessions, and I played against his Abigail with my Alex. He beat me six games to my zero, but um, it they were really good matches. And I always thought that Alex actually did well against Abigail. Like it was even one of Alex's few favorite matchups. Now that it's season four. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I spoke to him afterwards, and I was like, oh, what do you think about the matchup? And he was like, ah, oh, you know, Abigail got nerfed, but he still wins it pretty pretty cleanly. And I was like, damn. Mm-hmm. If, if if you're this good with Abigail, and you think Alex loses it, and I did this well, that that's an ego boost for me, right? Sure, sure. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask, now, you've been going to your local events. What's your kind of average placing? Like, you'll go, you know what, like three and two, or, or you know, you normally get into top eight, or how do you normally do at your local events? We don't have as many locals anymore, but we did have a monthly for a long time, mm-hmm. and my average placing was fifth, which was very frustrating because we only streamed top four, oh. so I never never got to be on stream except as a commentator, because that's what I mainly do. But I usually went three, two, four, two, maybe. Um... And uh, yeah, something like that. And in Japan, I went to the arcades a ton. I didn't participate in many events while I was there, but I played, I think, unless I'm misremembering, I played about 600 matches with Alex and um, maybe 350 with Ibuki, something like that. Uh, So I grinded very hard in the arcades. I ended up with about a 45% win rate with Ibuki and a 65% win rate with Alex. Cool. Uh, so that was that was all right, and the uh, it was frustrating for me when I got back because a big part of why I was playing so much while I was there was because we had Head Stomper coming up here in Sweden, mm-hmm. which was a uh, Capcom Pro Tour event and everything, and I go there every year. So I was really I really had my sights set on doing well there, uh, but I ended up going one and two, mm-hmm. uh, and it was the first time. I mean, I've been frustrated with losing in tournaments before, but it was the first time I felt completely devastated. I just, I walked away and nobody saw me for two hours. And uh, a lot of guys uh, that I know here in Sweden or like in general from the European community came up to me later, like, dude, are you all right? Well, I had, I've never seen you like that before. Uh, guys like Ixion and Atrosh, mm-hmm. I think even Veggie came up and like, uh, dude, uh, you don't really take losses this way usually, do you? <laughs> Um, but that was really frustrating. It and, sounds uh, like you've you've uh, you've really you know kind of committed a lot of yourself to doing this. It, you've got a lot of uh, stake in it. Uh, yeah, I guess so. I think you know the more time you put in, the more it starts feeling that way. Because I think everyone, whether they admit it or not, they probably 
they they can see all of their best moments, which sometimes they can see all the worst moments as well. But I think everyone kind of rates themselves unconsciously at their best level. Sure. So when you go to a tournament and you don't play at your best level, you get extremely frustrated oh, yeah. with yourself. And uh, that's what I kind of started feeling more than ever before. Because before I would feel, well, I know what my best level is, but I I haven't been practicing enough. I haven't been keeping up enough. So that's why I produced this poor result. But this time I was practicing like crazy and I still produced like a way worse result than I usually do. Um, I think at least mentally that was a big, I don't know if it was a shift, but it really, it really hit me hard. Dude, with Street yeah. Fighter V, that happens so often. Uh, it, it happens in other games. I remember it happening, um, going to Evo, for instance, and then uh, getting a lot of practice with players from all over the world in Street Fighter Four, and feeling like, oh my gosh, I just leveled up and I really have a new grasp. I'm going back to Wednesday Night Fights and I'm getting, you know, I'm going to do exceptionally well. And then just like, having a, a worse than average day and you go like, no, I've been practicing. I'm ready for this. And then on the other side of the coin, um, I haven't been playing very much Street Fighter and I've been doing exceptionally well at my Ranbats and my locals now. So who knows what the what the combination is but there's so many times and i think anyone that's played the game online um with any kind of uh consistency can can uh, identify with this where you feel like you've crossed a you've beaten a plateau or you've overcome something or you've leveled up and you're really ready to go and excited and then your your very next results remind you that <laughs> you know nothing john snow and uh, and that can be very very disheartening yeah. yeah, I think the uh, the mental toughness in this game is something we're, we're seeing a lot of players talk about now. And to stay on top of this game, um, we, we've seen it very, you know, firsthand. What Meta RT, um, he wins Capcom Cup the next year. He is, I personally feel not as hungry and not as dedicated to the game. Um, I think he's trying to grow his local scene and do many other things. And I think he fell off quite a bit. Uh, Tokido won $50 billion last year. And I think this year he's fallen off a little bit from what he did previously, because when you've earned that kind of money and you've worked that hard to get here, um, I think you take your foot off the gas pedal a little bit. And I think that um, this game will punish you so hard for not being in tip-top mental shape and completely prepared to go in. And when you see kind of that look on a player's face where they're like, you know what, I'm not losing today. Uh, and and not too many people can do that. You know, Infiltration used to be able to. I mentioned the others. Uh, and now also Punk. Um, Punk sometimes has like this mindset and approach. And it's like, yeah, this guy's probably not losing. Uh, I, I, I can't see anyone beating him and people just kind of get in the zone in this game. And I don't know if it's like their skills or what, but to me, it seems so much more like a mindset approach that they're in. And it's just like when they're in that zone, you're not beating them. Yeah, that's true. But there's a lot to be said, like just about the individual matches as well, because one of the things that really separates the top players is how fast they are at adapting to a completely different play style. And I think, in Street Fighter Five, more than ever, that's so important because the matches can go by so fast, so much can happen. I mean, uh, I keep talking about how Alex is really bad, and I mean, I definitely stand by that, but we've seen Alex players beat Knuckle We've seen Alex players mm -hmm. beat Punk, right? I'm pretty sure that both of those happened because it's over so fast if you don't adapt fast enough. And even with, like, myself, uh, after Head Stomper, we had a fairly local tournament, and... Uh, I did, I did well in the beginning, and then when I was in loser's bracket after a while, I actually met the guy who eliminated me at Headstomper and made me like feel that as, as poorly as I felt back then. And I took him four rounds straight, <laughs> just mm -hmm. sent him home without a question in my mind. And then in the next match, I met a guy 
who's a local here in Stockholm I've played against tons of times, and I beat him uh, the three previous tournaments like fairly easily. And uh, this time he cleaned my clock just out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And that's just the thing. You keep sometimes you run into opponents where it feels like the better you've gotten, the harder it is to beat them. And yeah, it's it's so important to just switch up your mentality. And that's what top players have always been doing. And that's why they're so good at it. But a lot of players who started with Street Fighter Five, I think, get on a real roll when they can start their game. But if the opponent manages to adapt to that game, they're suddenly pretty flustered. I saw that directly. Um, last night I was playing a set online against one of my local friends who's recently picked up Birdie. And our first set, it was just I was just mauling him, and it was 5-0, and he took like two two rounds in the whole set. Just immediate rematch after that, it was 5-4 me, which is an incredibly different... Like at that point, I was like, okay, I'm going to try to win this set to make it a challenge for myself. I'm going to try to win this set without losing any rounds. Nope, 5-4, you barely squeaked out a win. And it was because, you know, well, we know each other pretty well, so we're able to make those very intricate changes, right? And and in Street Fighter V, those changes can be everything so quickly. Um, But... It just goes to show like where my head was at after that 5-0 versus almost immediately after. It was all upside down, um, and that's how quickly this game can change. And it just tells you never, never be, you know, be confident, be ready, but never expect to win for free. You always have to have that mentality of like you're constantly ready for the change. You're constantly involved directly. Um, you're in the driver's seat as opposed to just letting things kind of go by on autopilot because a little tiny tweak and all of a sudden that autopilot's taking you into the side of a cliff. Sure. Yeah. Was there anything else you wanted to say about... Uh, about? I, I guess I did want to ask you really quick. Is this your biggest personal achievement when it comes to Street Fighter V? Yeah, Street Fighter V, definitely. Right on. Um, I used to play some other fighting games. Um, and I mean, I never had a placing where I got points and stuff. Uh, but I did actually... <laughs> this this is uh, not as big of an achievement skill-wise, but I won a Street Fighter Cross Tekken tournament once. And I don't know how I won because I don't think I was that good. But that was probably my best placing ever. Uh, but this one, I felt really good about I played. And I mean, it's basically immortalized on the Capcom Proto website, which is really cool. And uh, I actually wanted to address one thing. You were saying earlier, like, Alex's V-Trigger is one of those robbery things. Uh, but I don't know if you saw the match, but I was actually using V-Trigger 2 nice. uh, the whole time against uh, Dr. Gulag, Finnish Laura player. He's really, really good. Uh because uh, I felt like V-Trigger 2 might be a good choice against Laura, and I contacted Gunfight and talked to him a bit about it, and he said, like, how much do you play V-Trigger 2 normally? And I said, oh, I use it in casuals all the time, because I think it enhances your Alex play when you stop using V-Trigger 1 as a crutch. Mm-hmm. Even though I think you should use it in tournament, because it's really good, depending on the matchup, of course. Uh, and he was like, well, okay, if you feel comfortable using V-Trigger 2, then absolutely go V-Trigger 2. And he gave me some tips. Uh, also, shout-outs to Ixion and Rotba, Swedish players, who also gave me some tips against Gulag. And, uh, you know, it worked out in the end. Right on. Well, you uh, when you're not being an Alex connoisseur and, uh, and, and posting tournaments and having the best tournament results in the West... Actually, yeah. <laughs> uh, you are a big fan of, of Smash, right? And particularly of the uh, the new character that just came out, the hero from Dragon Quest. Oh, yeah. I love Dragon Quest. 
there was a pair of Smash reveals at the Nintendo Direct uh, yesterday. One of them was something that everyone was hoping for, seemingly everyone was hoping for and super hype about. The other one was, hey, cool, we got a new character, but I don't think it got as much, uh, you know, much attention. And, uh, and I don't think as many people are aware of it. And so we wanted to talk about, you know, what are the ins and outs of the hero from Dragon Quest? It's the reason that you aren't seeing people talk about it. It's because you don't speak Japanese. Ah. <laughs> because, honestly, in Japan, you have Mario, you have Pokemon, and you have Dragon Quest. They mm. are by far the biggest gaming franchises in Japan. Like, no question. Everyone knows these games. And Dragon Quest being in Smash is, like, way overdue in my mind. I'm so happy that it finally happened. And there are so many nice references and... They got the slime enemy in there, and they're really banking on the new Dragon Quest, which actually did fairly well in the West as well, Dragon Quest XI. Um, what I thought was really cool was that they actually included uh, several different heroes, and they did it in a way that kind of appeals to everyone who liked Dragon Quest, because uh, the original three games on the NES, uh, they're kind of a trilogy, and they have Erdrich, the hero from Dragon Quest III, to represent that. Mm-hmm. And then you have Dragon Quest 4, 5, and 6. I believe 4 was originally released on the NES, but 5 and 6 were on uh, the SNES. They're also kind of a trilogy. Like, they're not super connected, but they're slightly connected. And then you have the Dragon Quest 4 hero, which represents that trilogy. And then you have the Dragon Quest 8 hero, which is the first game that became 3D and the most successful in the West, unless Dragon Quest 11 surpassed it, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, which represents like another era of Dragon Quest. And now you have Dragon Quest XI, the newest hero. So basically anyone who's enjoyed Dragon Quest in the last 30 years will have a hero that they remember, identify with, and love. Do we feel like these are Echo Fighters? Like, are all of these heroes going to be on the character select screen? Or are they just single moves a la, you know, Shang Tsung in Mortal Kombat? Or, or Because uh, I'm not sure what to make of them. It looks like they're all their own models and they, you might be able to play as each and every one of them. Or maybe they're just move assists. I'm not sure. You can play as all of those four fighters, but they're on the same uh, select, uh, the same. Uh, what do oh, you call it? So is it like Slot. changing your color, yeah. or do they all probably have? I mean, maybe we wouldn't know at this point, but yeah, yeah, it's like changing your color, and each of them has uh, one extra color, uh, which is uh, a reference to another. Each of them is a reference to another Dragon Quest hero or character oh. that's really popular. So. Uh, Basically, you have four different characters in one slot, but their movesets are identical. It's the same thing as, you know, Robin from Fire Emblem, where you can pick the male or female version. Mm-hmm. It's the same as that. And then one of the things that jumped out to me actually here, and, and you wrote up an article about it, is the MP gauge, speaking of movesets. And this looks to be mm-hmm. very interesting and unorthodox, actually, for a Smash character of all things, which is pretty unique to say, right? What are you seeing with this, and like, how do you think it works? I think it looks absolutely amazing. We only got a small glimpse of it, which makes it even more interesting to me. But you have Dragon Quest, which is like the... It, I don't think it was the first one, but it's definitely what made Japanese RPGs popular. And I never even considered putting an MP gauge in, but that makes so much sense in retrospect, because basically every Japanese RPG has MP, right? Mm-hmm. So having it there makes perfect sense. And what we see in the trailer is we see... the hero go into like kind of a thinking stance and he gets a menu where he gets to pick four different spells and then we see a bunch of other spells as well i think all together 
we saw nine spells that are named in the trailer, and then we saw two more spells that aren't named but are probably also special moves. So the theory that's going around right now, uh, which I spoke to Justin about as well, Adaptive Trigger here at the Mantops, and we both subscribe to, is that the hero actually has 16 special moves available at any time, as long as he has the MP for it, which is whenever you press B, or down B, or side B, or up B, you get a selection of four spells and you get to pick one of these spells and use one of these spells and they also have uh, mp value attached to them because the only time we see the mp gauge in the trailer is when he uses snooze which uh puts the enemy into a sleeping state and we can see that that takes 16 mp from his gauge and presumably all the different spells depending on how powerful they are would uh, cost different amounts of mp okay does Very that nice. just mean yeah, that... move points is that what that means Magic points, baby. Magic points. Yeah, uh, magic yeah. points. Yeah, you, you you can tell John's not enough an old school Nintendo gamer, man. Like, I mean, I know hit points had... and and yeah. there's M, there's HP and PP and Pokemon and stuff, but I didn't play any <laughs> Dragon Quest. But yeah, so we see a lot of spells from the hero in the trailer as well uh, that have a lot of different effects, and they're obviously the same. Well, in most regards, the same as they are in Dragon Quest. Uh, one example that's a little bit different is in Dragon Quest, you have a spell called Zoom which uh, lets you travel to any previously visited location. And the way you do that is just you zoom up into the sky and then you land wherever you wanted to go. Obviously, in Smash, you're not going to change stages. So it's a recovery move. So you can see him zoom up and he flies like super high. So it's probably a super potent recovery move. Uh, but clearly, it also costs MP. So if you haven't been managing your MP well, uh, you're probably not going to have a good recovery move. That's really cool. Hmm. And that's just a whole yeah. other layer to how you would approach this character and how it's a game that you could play differently than anyone else. And when you're talking about a roster of more than 70 characters, I think we're closing in on 80 at this point with the announcements um, yesterday. Uh, that's really interesting to have, to stand out like that. And who knows how far they're going to go and, and which other avenues they're going to go down with this. But it's exciting. Yeah. One of the things that jumped out to me is, um, uh, oh, great, you know, another sword and shield character, right? Yes. And, of course, you know, he does not have a shield here, and, and it's not the typical Fire Emblem characters, at least it doesn't look like, but you're definitely more of a trained eye here, and you have more of a background. Like, do you think this is going to be another, like, Marth clone, basically, for lack of a better term, or do you feel like this character is really going to stand out on his own? I think he's going to stand out on his own in a lot of ways, because if you look at a trailer... It's probably hard to grasp if you're not used to the spells, but you see all these kinds of effects that other characters don't really have. Uh, there's, uh, for example, there's a spell... Ooh, I think... I, I, oh yeah, it's called Oomph, which uh, in Dragon Quest, it doubles the attack of your next move. And in the trailer, you can see the hero like make a pose, and then he does a smash attack, and the opponent just instantly flies as if they're at, like I don't know, 150%. So presumably... This means you can basically, it's like Alex's V-Skill in that you get a free crush counter if you burn MP on this spell, hmm. is what it looks like. And you also have Kaklang, which turns you into metal. And what that does in Dragon Quest is it, Im immunizes, it immunizes you one turn from any incoming damage, but you also can't do anything yourself. And that's the same thing here. So basically, this is obviously more casual oriented, the example I'm giving now. But if your opponent gets a final smash and you burn MP on Kaklang, you're just going to ignore the final smash. You can't oh, wow. counter them, uh -huh. but you're put basically in stasis. Hmm. I'm sure anyone who's played Dota knows all about that. I right? was just thinking about you can do that in Heroes <laughs> of the Storm and get rid of those global ults real quick or the homing ones. Yeah. Um, 
But then there's also a kamikaze, right? Is that going to just be totally casual too, or is there any way to implement kamikaze into the actual like competitive gameplay? I mean, you'd have to look at that as basically rest from Jigglypuff, which we've seen used very effectively in me- Melee. The thing with rest is that you can combo into it, but it is a high-risk move because most situations where you pull out rest, you're also going to sacrifice a stock by doing so. Mm-hmm. So with Hero, I'm guessing it's based on the trailer. It looked like Kamikaze was a counter move. So it would be basically like a very hard read that would cost you a stock, but it would guarantee you killing them. So it would be a total hype maker, right? But with that much power, I would assume that it will cost a lot of MP. So maybe your opponent will know you're going for it because you've been saving MP or whatever, you know? Yeah, well, again, it just there's there's all these different things to think about and juggle around with this character and i'm glad that now that we've had this conversation i can appreciate that while banjo kazooie the other character that i think a lot of us here in the west are going yeah it's about time and then we see this other mm-hmm. character that some of us don't even recognize or know that mp stands for magic power magic magic points whatever you guys know <laughs> um, and we go, well, yeah, but there's an entire community that, that is feeling just the same or perhaps even more so because we don't think about Banjo-Kazooie as one of the big three IPs here, you know. Um, so the Japanese crowd is, is just as or more excited for this. Um, again, a really good look for Nintendo this weekend. I think that they've, uh, they've continued to just do things close to perfectly with this game and awesome. Yeah, for sure. I mean... Uh, just just having two character reveals at E3, I think a lot of people were expecting it since we went so long after Joker. But managing to take basically Japan's most requested, char- requested character, and maybe not the West's most requested character, but certainly high up there, and definitely a character people have been dreaming about since Melee. Because it, it was a Nintendo character back then. Uh, it was a huge slam dunk, and I think... Anyone who enjoys Smash can't have been disappointed, even if neither character was one they really wanted that bad. They're clearly both very creatively made. You hear that amazing music. You see the Spiral Mountain stage for Banjo Kazooie. You know, I mean, it's it's so well made, all of it. Well, Nick, thank you so much for joining us and talking about your your recent victories and uh, and informing us on this new character that uh, that's only just first been introduced for the first time ever uh, in Smash Bros. Just now, so. Appreciate that. Thanks for having me. All right, y'all. That's going to wrap us up for this week of the Event Hubs podcast. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll catch you soon. You can find Cuphead merchandise and Hot Topic.